Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au if you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation, and our world. Good morning, Gateway Ormo. Welcome to church this morning. So lovely to see your face. Feels like a long time between visits for me, but it's so great to be here this morning as we are well and truly into our, our Christmas season, week two of our Hark series, where we're looking at the Christmas story and the whole idea of Hark being, listen up, there's big news to hear. And uh, what, what is the big news of Christmas? We're going to be unpacking that and looking at that in different ways over these next few weeks. So hope you're enjoying it. I hope this part of the year for you is a great time of year, a time to be refreshed, a time to take a breath, a time just to receive the hope that's in this season, I think, for all of us. This morning, uh, I want to look at uh, probably one of the unsung heroes of the Christmas story and look a little bit about what his life has actually meant to us or could mean to us, how his life and his response to God may well have and could inspire us to make better choices for the kingdom of God. Could we pray before we, before we open the word this morning? Father, we, we love this story. Father, it's the greatest story of hope that the world has ever known. Father, it's the greatest story of hope that the world is yet fully to embrace. But God, we know that Christmas speaks to us about the love of God, about your unrelenting love that pursues us, that runs after us. Father, that even when we don't see you, God, you are still pursuing us. And Father, we thank you for all the hope that's in this story. These next few weeks, we pray that you would open our hearts, Lord, that many who come and hear this story, Father, would hear the God who loves them, the God who pursues them, the God who accepts them, the God who wants to embrace them. Father, we pray that that message you'd write afresh on all of our hearts. No matter how long we've walked with you, Father, let this be a breath of fresh air to our faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there's been some uh, many great gifts given to humanity over the years. The gift of medical breakthroughs, the gifts of scientific breakthroughs, the insights we have into the human mind, the way we understand human relationships. I think we could definitely say as, as the world has progressed, we've seen many gifts that have come into the way we do life. How many people love the idea of being able to just press buttons to do things that before you had to stoke a fire to make happen? Who's happy about that today? Who's glad that the hot water system turns on when you actually crank the handle around? You know, there's something about switching on the electric light and all of the power that comes into our homes and the way we do life in that way. And we could go on and we can go on and we can go on. But Christmas time, of course, we're celebrating one of the greatest gifts ever received. That is God joining himself to creation. This is an incredible story because it's not just about a one-off event. This is the plan of God from before the foundation of the world that he would come and join himself to us, that he would put on flesh. He has created flesh 
He's created humanity and the world that we live in, but his plan from the beginning, the Bible said before the foundation of the world, that he would come and join us in this story. He would actually leave his divinity and come and place on himself humanity. And he would join together divinity and humanity into the body of a baby called Jesus. And it's an incredible story. And actually, it's God trying to communicate to us what love is. Because we can use the word very glibly. We can throw it around like love is this and love is that. And I love you and I love that movie and I love that food and I just love, love, love. But what is love? The story of love is actually not necessarily about what I feel. The story of love is not necessarily about how you feel about me. Actually, love is an action that we see through God's power in his incarnation. There's no doubt that the cross of Christ is the central point of our salvation. But can I tell you, the cross doesn't happen without the incarnation, without the willingness of God to become like us. That's what love is. Love is this pouring out from the more powerful one to the other, to he who has perfect to those that are imperfect. And the self-giving towards us that just flows freely from God, that's what love is. And so when God says, I want you to love one another, what he's not saying is, I want you to have nice feelings about each other. What he's actually saying is, I want you to pour out your life for the other. I want you to give your life to the other in such a way that to you, your life is now unrecognisable. Because Jesus sits today resurrected as the Son of God, Son of Man, fully man, fully God today. Forever changed. Not the same that he was materially before the incarnation, before the cross, before the resurrection. He is changed forever. Marked by the love that he says to us, that's what love is. And so love will mark you, love will change you, love will transform you because you are not yourself giving to another, you become this person that pours out yourself towards the other. Every gift like that will cost something. There's no such thing as a love gift that doesn't cost you. But in this story, of course, we always and we continually will give the glory to God for the Christmas story, but there are other people that played a significant part and sacrificed immensely for this story to happen. Today I want to look at a guy called Joseph. I wanna, I've walked in this guy's shoes for the last week now, maybe more than I have before, and tried to feel what life would have been like for dear old Jojo. And I reckon, well, let's look at it together. You tell me what you reckon later. Matthew chapter 1 and verse 18. If you have a Bible, read it with me, otherwise it'll be on the screen for you. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. 
But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. The Bible says that Joseph was a good man. He was from the lineage of David. He came, he originally his family was from Bethlehem, but he of course grew up in the region of Nazareth and that's where his adult life was. He was betrothed to a girl called Mary. And in that time being betrothed simply meant that they had entered into a 12 month contractual arrangement together, family to family, that she would become his wife and he would become her husband, but they could not come together as husband and wife. They didn't live together as husband and wife, but it was a done deal that they were going to come and be married at some point. And of course, the tradition would actually be, and you see this in the parable of the virgins and other things if you look at the marriage tradition, is that after the end of the 12 months, on the marriage day, the bridegroom could come at any time during that day and would come and literally arrive and of course the bridesmaids would look out for that time they'd arrive they could come anytime before dawn or dusk and pick up the bride and say I'm here to marry they would go from there immediately to consummate their marriage then they join the wedding feast and so that was the process it was 12 months before the wedding day would happen and this was the period of time that they were in and Joseph was a good man and then he hears the words I'm pregnant I'm pregnant. Now, walk in Joseph's shoes for a minute. He knows he's not the father. I mean, he's not just talking himself into that. You know whether you're there or you're not there. He wasn't there. And the story is, God got me pregnant. Think about it for a minute. He goes back through the Torah, the Psalms, the writings of the prophets. He looks at what the other rabbis have written about God. He's yet to find any precedent where God gets girls pregnant. And Mary is saying to her, him, I'm pregnant because God got me pregnant. It's a pretty good story because God's not there to defend himself for a start. And Mary is absolutely, honestly, wide-eyed saying to him, I'm pregnant from God. Put yourself in his shoes. Being a devout man, he knows the scripture. The law is very clear. Deuteronomy 22 and verse 23 says this, If a young woman who is a virgin is betrothed to a husband, tick, and a man finds her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both to the gate of the city and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry out in the city and the man, because he humbled his neighbor's wife. So you shall put away the evil among you. 
He knows Deuteronomy. That is the course of action. He has two options according to the law of Moses. Firstly, he can divorce her, pay a stipulated sum of money to the father and essentially disappear. That's called putting her away. Divorce her, in other words, sign an annulment of the arrangement. Because he's the one initiating that, he pays a sum for that to happen and then he steps into the background. The second thing he can do is accuse her of adultery, which means he can avoid paying the sum of money, handy, but risk Mary going to court and being sentenced to death. There is two options. None of it is brought on himself. And he knows his own innocence in it. What would you do? What would you do? He's a good man. He wants to follow the law of Moses. He has followed that he is in the line of David. If he's from the line of David, he's also of the tradition that says the Messiah is coming. So he understands he's a man that's devout before the law. He's followed the law. Now he wants to do the right thing moving forward and he wants to do the right thing by Mary. But what is the right thing? So in his heart secretly, the Bible says, he decides, I'm going to put her away secretly. In other words, I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to pay the money that I shouldn't have to pay, but I'm going to pay the money and I'm going to back out of the contract. I don't want to risk her being stoned to death. In this moment, Joseph doesn't realise it, but he is standing on the edge of history. He is on the edge of history. God is calling Joseph into a purpose and a plan that he has no idea about, yet Joseph is interpreting that call as a world of pain. He is in pain. He is in disillusionment. He is discouraged. His dreams are shattered. He has no future that he thought he would have. And in that moment, God is actually calling him, but he can't see it. Have you ever found that the gift that God wants to give you is often camouflaged behind a whole bunch of other things going on around your life? And honestly, in retrospect, you look back and you see, I see where God led me. But in the moment when you stood there, you said, I don't, I, I don't see God here at all. In fact, I'm in a world of pain right now. And I brought none of it on myself. But I'm in a world of pain. Have anybody ever been there? The gifts of God are wonderful, but it's the wrapping paper sometimes that throws us. The gifts of God come to us and God has a plan for our life and a call for our life. And in the moment of receiving that, we say to ourselves, oh God, where are you? And he's saying, I'm right with you. Keep unwrapping the present. So Joseph decides to put her away. And this is what the scripture says in Matthew 1. We just read. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Don't you find it interesting that every time angels turn up, it's do not be afraid. Uh, they, you know, they're never really a comforting visit from the angel, is it? It's never, you never hear anyone saying, oh, thank God an angel's here. That's awesome. Oh, things will be okay now. It's normally I'm freaking out and here's this angel standing here as well, which doesn't help my stress levels. Anyhow, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. 
And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. He's afraid. Do you blame him for being afraid? What's he afraid of? Well, my guess is I've walked with this guy for the last week or so in my heart. I reckon the first thing he's afraid of is the perceptions of others. What are other people going to think? Because now what he's got is he's betrothed has said I'm pregnant because God got me pregnant and now he's had a vision where he's seen an angel and the angel says it's true God got her pregnant now all he's got to corroborate his story is a vision that's it you say well that should be enough yeah well well, you go and face your community of 400 in Nazareth with that and say I've had a vision yeah it is it's God did get Mary pregnant it's all good and all the people that have lived life a few years, who knows what it's like to be in the backseat of the car with the girl you love, and they're kind of thinking, no, yeah, right. That's, a, that's the best one we've heard yet. What will people think? How will I live with this reputation for the rest of my life? How will this affect my standing in the church community? What will the people at work say? What will my customers say? What will my extended family say? What about my perfect record in terms of my sacrifice for my sin and walking blameless before God? What about that? That's gone. He was afraid. Second thing I think he was afraid of was what will the future hold? Nazareth is a community of, at that stage, if you look at the history books, is about 400 people lived in Nazareth at that time. It was a a little centre outside of the main Roman centres. 400 people. He was a carpenter. He had a business. He had customers. What's going to happen to my customers? Do I have a future now? Have I lost my standing? Are people going to start to look at me and say, I don't think I can trust him because he makes up some pretty good stories about stuff that just doesn't make sense. You say, oh, that wasn't happening for Joseph, wasn't it? What happened to Joseph's humanity? Did he suddenly stop becoming human all of a sudden? Surely Joseph is thinking these things. I know I would. I'd be grappling with God. I'd be saying, God, where are you in this? And the angel comes and tries to put his fears to rest. It's the thing that we all face as a supernatural God wants to work supernatural things in our life. Because the thing about being supernatural is it's called above natural. Naturally, it all makes sense. When the supernatural God gets involved, now it doesn't. And yet it's perfect sense in the realm of the spirit. Perfect sense for what God's trying to do. So what did Joseph do? Well, Matthew 1 verse 24 says, Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. In other words, Joseph decides to marry the girl with the dodgy story. By faith. By faith. It's all by faith. He doesn't know what his future will hold. He doesn't know what people will say. He doesn't know the impact on his business. He doesn't know what his reputation damage is going to be. He doesn't know. He's got a confirmation from an angel of which he probably thought a hundred times afterwards, was it really a vision? Was it really a vision? Did I just have a little bit too much vino the night before? Did I have some pizza that went down the wrong way? God, is that really you? 
He makes a decision and he marries the girl. You say, well, big deal. Well, in Jewish law, a child with a father with a status that's unknown is called a shatuki. It's actually a label. You're a shatuki if you're a child and they don't know the origin of the father. Now, there are other labels. People have often said, and incorrectly said, use the sort of the, the bastardized kind of terms, which is not true. In Jewish law, there were many other definitions, and Setuki was one of the definitions. Jesus would have been a Shetuki in his community had it not been for Joseph's faith. Because by Joseph stepping up to the plate, Joseph then said, This is my baby. This is my baby. He eliminated the accusation of Shetuki. He provided for Mary a husband and now a family and a covering for her reputation and her name. But more than that, he provided it for the Son of God and the plan of God. But he took a hit. And make no mistake, it cost him big time. It cost him. For the rest of his life, people said, we think they did it outside of wedlock. And when you read the other scriptures, you can read in Luke 3, John 4, John 1. I can give them to you later if you want them. People said, oh, that's Jesus, Joseph's son. So the community acknowledged Jesus as Joseph's son from then on. He wasn't Shetuki anymore. He actually was Joseph's son and Mary's son. Now, we know the divine story of this, but put yourself into the community of the Jews. What Joseph did was heroic. What Joseph did provided a foundation. And you don't hear Joseph's name mentioned apart from the time that they go. And this is interesting. Jesus, when he's 12 years old, is the only other glimpse we get of his childhood. And they're there because of the Passover in Jerusalem. And of course, they leave and assuming that Jesus is with the other family, they get down the road. They can't find him. They go back. He's in the temple, remember? And Jesus says, well, I need to be about my father's business. That is the only time you hear Joseph and Mary together with Jesus. Between 12 and when Jesus ministry starts at 30 we assume Joseph passes away but he's certainly not there at the cross Mary's there by herself Joseph is no longer there Joseph performs this incredible covering for the vision and the call of God and can I say this the pain that he stood in was part of the plan of God for his life I don't always think that the plan of God and the call of God for our life means that it's all roses. I don't always think that it means it's all just going to be just dripping in honey all the time. I don't think that's what it means. I think, but, but, but Joseph stood on the edge of history as he made his decision and God was giving him faith to make the right decision. Choose my way, Joseph. I need you as part of this plan. Provide a safe haven for my son to grow. Luke 2 and verse 52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favour with God and man. Can I tell you, a shituki is not going to do that. But he increased in favour with God and man because he had a family, he had a home. And Jesus grew, 
grew under that covering. I reckon in the story of Joseph, we see three challenges that all of us will face as we try to embrace the call of God. Firstly, the call of God will always cost something. It will always cost something. About 14 years ago, just before Rochelle and I kind of went into the ministry, uh, we, we had been, we'd left the business world and, and we had placed uh, a very, very large sum of money, the money that we'd probably earned through real estate and other things into holding into a property trust so that we could relocate to Brisbane where we were starting in the ministry. That was 2007, right at the time of the economic crash, and all of that money went through a set of circumstances. And in fact, not only did it all go, but as a result of realising all of our assets, we received a $35,000 tax bill as well. So we actually went below zero to the place that we'd never been before, where we had nothing. We literally arrived in Brisbane. The irony of this decision was that we'd made the choice only months before that, the industry I'd been in and offered me a job in Sydney as the CEO of a company that was paying very, very, very well, billion dollar company coming out of America. And then there was this other opportunity to come to Brisbane to be a part of ministry with Scripture Union. And I felt, we both felt God was saying, it's time to step out. We thought, that's okay, we'll be all right. There's a cushion. God, we've got this great cushion that the Lord had helped us build up. And our vision was that, well, there'd be some passive income out of that money we'd invested. So even if we do take a hit financially to come to ministry, well, there'll be passive income out of this money and, and we'll be okay because we'll make up the difference and Shell won't have to work. I'll go into the ministry and that sounds great. Great, God, that sounds awesome. Until it all went. The opportunity went in Sydney and now we're in ministry with a $35,000 tax bill saying, God, what happened to the plan? It was all very good up to this point. It was going so well. We thought it was all working very beautifully. And there's nothing, less than nothing. And so we moved out of the house we were in and moved into Rochelle's parents' house for the next three and a half years as we saved up the beginnings of, firstly, the 35000 to pay off the tax office and then the next money to start getting a deposit for the house with three kids. And it's all happiness. There's plenty of bad stories out there. I'm not saying this is the worst. But there are plenty of opportunities we've had to say, God, is this really the call of God? Because it doesn't feel good right now. Following God will cost you something sometimes. And you'll have to ask yourself the question, God, did I really hear from you? And at that point, God is saying, hang on to me. Hang on to me. What you see through the circumstances around you, like Joseph, may not be perfect. It may not be according to Levitical law, according to the way Moses said we should live. It may not be exactly that, Joseph, but I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to put your hand in my hand and say, I'm going with you, God. I'm asking you to call the future as I'm seeing the future, not as you thought the future would be. Joseph had to redefine what serving God meant. His reputation had to become of lesser value than his obedience. His reputation had to become of lesser value than his obedience. It's not what other people think. It's about what you say, God. I remember my selection preach at Gateway all those years ago. And what that means is you... 
you know, coming to the church, of course, is about being called and my position is voted on by the members and so that's fine. And, but you get asked if you want to have the job, you say you'd like the job and then they say, great, wait six months until the members vote that you can have the job. Oh, by the way, but the month before the vote, you've got to get up and preach because we want to check out whether you're the sort of guy that we want to have. So you've got a job, but you don't have a job, and you've got to preach for your supper just to be sure that you can get the job to the members. And I'm approaching this preach, and it's, Jason calls it the poison chalice. <laughs> I think he's right, because it's just the one you've got to preach, and you've got to do it well, and you're as nervous as anything. It's only your whole future resting on it, so nothing, no big deal. I remember getting up to preach, sitting in the pew, and as I'm sitting in the pew, I feel the Spirit of God speak to me and say, there's somebody here who's tried to take their life this week. You need to pray for them. Now, that was not my plan that Sunday. My plan was I had a message. I'm ready to go. I know where I'm going to head it. I'm going to hit my points. It's going to be nice and neat. It's going to work. Everyone's going to like it. And then they're going to say, yes, we're going to bring him in and he's going to be a pastor. The Lord says, no, there's a person here. And as I stand up, I, I, as I'm standing there, I feel like God says to me, and they're sitting right in front of you. So I, I say, God, I can't do this this morning. This is not, this is not, don't you realise what's going on here? This is really important. And it's easy to sit outside of that bubble, but put yourself in this bubble. I'm nervous. Now I've got a word from the Lord, and I'm facing the issue of obedience or disobedience as well. So anyway, I took a deep breath, and I said, okay, before I preach this morning, Somebody here, you tried to take your life a week ago and you're sitting right in front of my hand. My heart's going... Jason's in the front row and he just was slid down in his chair like that and went... I don't know what he said, but I'm thinking something like, help Jesus or something, I'm not sure. Anyway, as it turned out, the woman was right there. She took... I asked twice and the second time she put up her hand, she had to leave the road, come down the front, we prayed for her. The Saturday before that, she'd taken a handful of pills and her husband sitting next to her had tried to wake her up during the night, got her to the hospital, pumped her stomach and she was alive and she was in church the next Sunday. How good is God? How wonderful to speak to that woman and give her hope and life and healing, how wonderful. How nerve-wracking for this bunny. The call of God won't always be like you think it is. And obedience will have to cost you something. Your reputation is irrelevant when it comes to serving God. Joseph knew that. And Joseph embraced that. The second thing is the call of God will always take you to places that are unexpected and unplanned. Joseph knew these stories. The patriarchs of the Bible, I mean, he knew about Abraham, leave your homeland and I'll make you a great nation. And he waits 25 years to get a son. Noah is 480 years old. God asks him to build an ark at 480. Is there anyone here this morning that's 480 years old? Can I see a hand, please? Can I see a walking stick instead, please? Can I? He's 480. He takes 120 years. He's 600 when he finishes the ark. He lives to over 900. Still, I'm sure he's not moving as quick as he did in his teenage years. David's anointed as king. He waits 18 years for fulfilment. Hosea, God asks him to marry a prostitute so that he can be that physical outworking of God's uh, desire for the heart of Israel to come back to him rather than be 
irresponsible and unresponsive. Joseph knows all these stories of the patriarchs. He admires their faith. But you know what? It's all well is good to put it out there. But now Joseph has been called to join them. You can read the Bible your whole life, but at some point God will say, join me in this journey of faith. Join me. You know what that's going to feel like? Just like Joseph did. It's going to feel awful. Don't let me pretend. It's going to feel awful. But your desire to walk with God and your desire to want to know God more intimately and deeply is going to drive you through that process as you hang on by faith and trust him that tomorrow God's word will become true. You say, hang on a minute, aren't you here to inspire us and encourage us? Yes, I am. But I'm also here to say that's the reality of obedience with God. And Joseph was called to that distinct moment where the rest of his life, his reputation would never be the same. There's fear to confront. There's patience and trust to walk out. Not theory anymore, real. Not religious thought, real. The difference between the head and the heart is I've actually got to do it. I've actually got to live it. I've actually got to step onto the water and expect that the water will hold me up. I've actually got to do it. God wants to birth this same living and powerful faith inside each of us today. This is not a book that's just been written for a few. It's a book that's been written for us all. And finally, the good news is the call of God, number three, will open unprecedented experiences and opportunities for you. Can I tell you, there's nothing like the call of God. There is nothing like responding to God in obedience. There is nothing like actually saying, God, I will not be on the ringside seat. I will not just stand back and watch others do this. I will get in as well. There's nothing like being in that place where you actually walk with God and and He comes through for you in the moment that you think, God, is this ever going to work? And He actually shows up and, and brings miracles that you know is a miracle. You know their miracles. You know we could never have that to happen. And I, I find this, that as God's miracle power goes at work around me, it gives me confidence to believe him again. God's good like that. He's, he addicts you to himself. You become an addict. God, I want breakthrough. I will trust you. I look back and I see you've been faithful. I look forward and I know that faithfulness will go with me. Your goodness will go with me. I know it will. I trust you. Let's do this again. Does it mean you're not scared? Of course not. Does it mean that you won't, you won't at times doubt yourself? Of course not. But your faith will grow and you will know that God can be there. You will never outgive God. You will never outgive Him. He is so good. He is so wonderful. Can I just read you a couple of stories that this week just happened in the life of my world? And as I read these stories, I'm only reading them because I want the glory to, of God to be lifted up in this place. But I also want you to know that this is just my stories, but you'll have your stories. And if we went around the room, we'd actually be able to have a testimonial of the things that God has done in this last week or two. That's amazing. And that is the testimony of faith of the saints as we lift up his name. This is Caroline, Caroline and Des. 
They go to our Redlands campus. I want to let you know what happened after you prayed for our little granddaughter, Isla, at Redlands a few weeks ago. Since birth, she's had major problems with her ears and sinuses. She had tonsils and adenoids removed at 13 months of age. She's had grommets continuously ever since and acute sensitivity to noise. Since you prayed for her, she's been back to the ear, nose and throat specialist and he was very happy with her. She doesn't need grommets. Her hearing test was perfect and he doesn't want to see her till February. We are believing this is an answer to prayer. It's permanent. Praise God. How good is God? This is a family that has been literally walking week by week by week with the specialist. A child that's in pain, screaming with pain, who now no longer has to come back till February. Now, that seems like nothing except if you're the one every night with the child. And they're amazed. How good is God? This is Adam and Callie Hall with their uh, boy Eli. Eli had a condition known as Wolf Parkinson White, a cardiac condition which causes him... Uh, to go into a fast arrhythmia called superventricular tachycardia. As a mother, this is uh, obviously Callie that's writing, it's always in the back of my mind and causes me anxiety. After you prayed for us, we attended our regular cardiologist appointment. Ali's ECG now shows only minor pre-excitation, the marker for uh, SVT. And since Eli has stopped having episodes, we don't have to return to the cardiologist for two years. <laughs> How good is God? How wonderful is that? If you're a mum getting up every night wondering if your child's heart is still beating and now you don't have to go back to the cardiologist for two years, that's the blessing of God. That is the blessing of God. Can I tell you this? I look back on what took place 14 years ago and I, can, I still, I vaguely remember the pain. I vaguely remember it, to be honest. But can I tell you, God is more faithful. He will give you the opportunities to do things and experience things. Follow him. Trust him. You cannot outgive God. You cannot outgive God. One of the greatest honours we have is to partner with God in this earth. It's one of the greatest honours. No matter what your vocation is this morning, the call of God is still within that. You can be a carpenter today. God bless you. You can be an accountant. God bless you. You can be a teacher. God bless you. Whatever it is you are, God bless you in your vocation. But the call of God is not your vocation. The call of God is two things. One is he wants sons and daughters. And he, the second thing is he wants the kingdom of heaven on earth. That's the call of God. So what are you doing as a carpenter to see sons and daughters come out of your life and the kingdom of heaven come to earth? That's ultimately what God is calling us to do. That is the call of God. Now, vocationally, he'll use whatever you do to bring that flourishing message to this world. The call of God. Joseph responded to that call. Joseph said, yeah, I'm in. I'm going to do it. He's my new hero, Joseph. Doesn't get talked about much because there's not much said about him. But he's my new hero because I see a man who stuck to his decision. He got himself committed to the call of God and he didn't waver and he put himself on the track and he said, I don't care what it costs. I'm going to sign up. I'm signed up. 
and he sat in the grandstand of the greatest event in the world as God himself was born into flesh. And he watched it happen because he made that choice. What a great experience. What a wonderful testimony he had. Let's pray this morning. Father, I thank you for your incredible grace to us. You invite us into your sovereign plans and you allow us to be vessels used by you. What an incredible honour it is. For whatever time we spend on this earth, Father, I ask you, God, that you would remind us today that the priorities that heaven sets for this earth are the most important priorities. Father, there are many things we may feel we have sacrificed, but you have said obedience is far greater than sacrifice. Father, there are many things we may have thought to ourselves have cost us. And at times we've told ourselves it's cost too much. But God, the joy of serving You. Father, would You stir within us again a sense of the joy of serving You. That none of that, Father God, is goes to waste. But all of the seeds we sow, everything that we do, Father, You see and You reward and You honour. God, this morning we give You praise and glory in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au.